Our world is built with stories. Sometimes these stories cause suffering by pulling us apart from ourselves and each other. The Liturgist Podcast helps people love more and suffer less by pulling apart the stories that pull us apart. So I was thinking earlier today about the nature of story and how story has a beginning and an ending and where you begin a story matters, where you end the story matters and anything outside of like those walls outside of that framework, you know, it doesn't really matter much to us when we're consuming a story. We don't usually, you know, go home worrying about what became of Sleeping Beauty and her prince after the wedding or whatever, you know, like we don't think too much about how they die or what happens after the credits roll. Usually how the star quarterback's career ended, you know, after everybody hoisted him up on their shoulders. And as consumers of story, we just sort of stop where, where it ends and we move on. And I was kind of thinking of that in relationship to religion and belief and deconstruction or reconstruction. And one of the things that we get asked to talk about a lot at the liturgists, and we get a lot of questions around this is, uh, what, what now? Like, (laughs) okay, you've, we've gone through this whole story of like, I pulled apart the hermeneutics of of this issue about hell or about why, why God doesn't actually hate gay people or, you know, like what did the issue we've gone through this whole journey of moving Mm -hmm. past this really harmful story. Oh, the dragon has been slain. You know, the the hero Mm -hmm. has returned home. And when you finally get to this moment and you, and then here you are, right? (laughs) It's like this story. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's done. I'm past that. Now, what now, do we do now? We do? Exactly. We're still here. I'm still me. There's still all this shit in my life. So what am and I I've supposed got... to do now? And mm-hmm. am I supposed to reconstruct some new thing? Am I supposed to find some other mm. system or orthodoxy to belong to? Um, and that's that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm joined here on the call by Dr. Hillary McBride, William Matthews, and Kevin Garcia. And, yeah. And Kevin, yeah, maybe welcome. First of all, Kevin, love when you get to be on the show. Uh, Kevin, pleasure. did you just say meow? I did, yes. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I heard the correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, don't ever apologize no for meowing. I yeah. just wanted to make sure I heard a meow. <laughs> yeah, you're not going crazy. It's okay. not that you've been alone for too long. Okay. You heard that. Is that I indeed? Yeah. Is that one of those uh, Cardi B things? You know, like she has her little signature sounds. That's your signature sound. It could be. Yeah. I'd like to make it my signature sound yeah. now. That's good. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before I go on the track, you're just gonna hear <laughs> somewhere, and that's how you know. Kevin it's like when, oh, Kevin's on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's like when Lil, Lil when Lil Wayne's on the track, you can hear him lighting up right before his verse. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. Subtle Same kind thing. of sounds, though, for me. Yeah, it's like, like Megan. It. Megan's like, sorry. Ow. Well, maybe because people, uh, I mean, some people are familiar with your work, but Kevin, I, mm-hmm. could you just start the ball rolling a bit with this conversation by kind of yeah. sharing? I'd love to hear a little bit of your story in in mm-hmm. regards to, you know, your relationship to beliefs and mm-hmm. religion and how wrestling through all these big questions have impacted right. you and your journey. Right. 
uh, we're going to start two years ago because <clears throat> I think that's where this conversation, like that experience is most relevant. I started seminary two years ago and I started getting a master's of divinity because I was convinced that, uh, well, no, at the time I really wanted to be a pastor in the classical sense. And it was both like, I saw it as like my duty to my community of hurt, queer, former evangelicals to like go in and reform the church because that's what we got to do. The church needs to be saved. The church needs to change and I have to be the one to change it. That was a big focus of my initial uh, foray both into justice work was in reforming policies that affected people on church level, both local and then policy wise. And then it kind of evolved from there into recognizing like, huh, this is, this is a, by and large, a system. um, And these questions happened because of seminary. I started to study how we got the Old Testament, how we got the New Testament. How do we get the Bible in this form and then in the form we have it? And then what is the history of translation? And also, what is the history of this text within the context of the cultures around it? And what does that mean anthropologically for the development of religion? And, you know, first comes, is hell real? Next comes, is heaven real? And then did Jesus die for nothing? And then it's like, ah, there's a good question. That's where I am now. But at the time, it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. It was almost as if, if I dropped this belief, if I, like, you know, if I move away from this thing, who am I? Who am I without the church was really the big question underneath. It's like, who am I without this institution? Um, And so I started to explore, well, who would I be? I'm just like, well, who would you be if you stayed? That's another question you can ask, Mm -hmm. at least for me. And I kind of came to this conclusion of, (laughs) honestly, I kind of came to the severe like, eh, whatever. That's what I, this is where I label like my feeling about the church. It's like, I hope it does good. I hope it reforms itself, but I'm not, I'm not going after the big C church to try and reform it. I've got a cute little black Baptist queer church I go to in Atlanta. We do good by our people and by our community. And that's good enough for me. Um, And I'm, I'm just not interested in trying to reform an institution that does not want to be reformed, which is why I think that what I've learned, especially since COVID began, is that an individual practice that connects you to the greater whole is can be just as powerful, if not more effective in getting you to a place of peace than going to church every Sunday ever did. Um, and so that's what I'm kind of exploring right now is like, what does it look like to keep some sort of practice that I make? or that I can help others create? How can I borrow from the traditions that I grew up in, the traditions of, you know, from around the world? How do I listen to contemporary voices that are still alive, who are teaching us about what it is to be present? Um, So I'm, I'm right now, I'm in the middle of a huge experiment, spiritual experimental phase in my life. And it's fucking fascinating. Hmm. I'm super curious about what has supported you to be okay being in an experimental phase. Like what are the Mm. inner and social resources that make the experimental phase exciting and adventuresome Mm -hmm. without it being threatening? Right. I think I definitely had an advantage with 
my graduate program. Mm. I switched my program in the middle of it to uh, a master's of practical theology, which for folks who don't know, practical theology is actually a study within the field of like seminary studies. So like a lot of people will do MDivs or like we'll get a, a master's in systematic theology and they'll work through that stuff or um, history and practical theology has kind of become an academic practice within the past 20 years, but it's still kind of the black sheep of the seminary world because what practical theology asks is what is this doing mm-hmm. here and now? What does this practice, what does this theology have to do? How does it impact the bodies in the room? Also, who created it? Which bodies created it? How is time, place, culture informing this? It's like, it's like be, it's hypercritical spirituality and then saying, take what works, leave behind what doesn't. And I think I, having the support of my seminary who still graduated me, even though I fully admitted like in one of our, yeah, I practiced witchcraft on our campus. I was like, yeah, like they weren't weirded out by it at all. There's like, yeah, it's like, you know, Presbyterians, like the really academic ones, they can, they can take anything truly. <laughs> um, but I think having that initial support from some mentor figures to say, you've got it, you've got yeah. something special, keep going. Um, I think my preaching professors like were the most supportive for me. And then I think also the other part that I have have a big advantage of is uh, most of my friends are queer. Just um, I think it just comes from uh, my social location. A lot of my friends are queer and understand that spirituality is fluid because a lot of us are either gender fluid or uh, sexually fluid. So it just, it kind of just expands out from that, that I've got this really cool community of people who are experiencing very similar things. A feeling of multiple religious belonging is the term within uh, my field. And for me, it feels natural now because I now kind of, I really understand that God is not in a building and God is not in a denomination. God is not in a certain particular theology. God is the thought that the thought behind the theology. And I think because I've like, it's, it's very interesting. It's like, I hold two things that are true. All of it matters deeply because like having a positive experience on this plane, I would like to have one. And then the other part of it is like at the end of it all, it kind of doesn't because like what comes next? I don't know. So you can hold it loosely and you've been supported to trust yourself Yeah, in the direction and your community in the direction that you're heading. Yeah. And I'll say I'm very lucky. It's a huge privilege to have the kind of people in my life that I do because I know not everybody does. I'm so glad that you're saying that because I think when we talk about this question, even when you're posing it, Michael, like what, what now? I think about how so many people have been trapped within belief systems because it's been their key to social connection and the idea of being spiritually curious requires actually a fragmenting of the community that supports them as a person. And to know that you don't have to have those things in conflict for you specifically, Kevin, that actually you have found another community that Mm -hmm. really, that you felt feel really well situated within and share so much congruence Mm -hmm. with what an opportunity to then lean into the adventure and the adventure and the curiosity. Mm -hmm. But I think, what I'm hearing is that that's been central for allowing you Mm -hmm. 
to expand in that way. I would agree. So this, this process that you're describing of your journey, your story in terms of, you know, leaving one thing, joining another or spending some time in the wilderness, so to speak alone. Um, mm. What was, I know the feeling of what you're talking about, mainly how, when you just move on, it's sometimes the moving on thing is really hard, but then you do ultimately get to a place where it's just free, mm -hmm. where you're like not plagued by a lot of the same yeah. frustrations or theological quandaries or, um, mm -hmm. or whatever. And sometimes that process takes years. But what would you say to somebody that is still in that process? Because I feel like a lot of people are still very much in that space, mainly in the way of maybe they've left, maybe they're trying to figure it out, but they still feel plagued and dogged by those mm -hmm. conversations they had that left them broken by the, the things the pastor said that um, really uh, disrupted their spirit or their, their consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, what were like a few tools that um, you were able to kind of war with, so to speak, as you were mm -hmm. wrestling um, into this new place that you're in? I think I had to re-understand forgiveness. I hate saying that word sometimes because I know it can be like, you're asking me to forgive somebody who... Um, and yeah, <laughs> that's that's my voice. That is nobody else's voice. That's my inner exasperation. Because <laughs> um, that's what... It, there is a... Uh, the text I have been working with for the past kind of a year of my life is A Course in Miracles. And one of the things I was reading in it today is like, you seek to understand conflict. Um, no, you seek to understand the conflict within yourself. And so the more that you understand it and acknowledge it, the more that you actually love it. Um, rather than understanding that you don't need to understand the conflict, you just need to be rid of it. It's just because it, like it really is like it's so complicated. Some things like we hear the voice of the pastor in our head. We hear the voice of our non-affirming parent. We hear the voice of that youth pastor from when we were young telling us about our sexuality and what was good or bad about it. We hear the voice of abusive partners or parents rather. And then the question then becomes is just like, are those the voice of God? Question mark. And so for me, I had to, I think... I mean, honestly, I've been in therapy for the past two years, every other week with my, with the same therapist, which is like longest relationship of my life. <laughs> um, but she's really helped me forgive myself for the time that I think that I wasted. Mm -hmm. um, I think the reason we like, we kind of have like these interesting like holds in or like holdouts, not even really hold. It's like this attachment to our old life where it's almost just like, well, I had this, this, and this, they treated me terribly, but mm. I also had home and it's almost, it's hard to, it's like, even though it's painful, it's hard to let it go because we, and in some ways are afraid we're never going to find another one. Like, even though we're not even attached to it anymore, we still hold on to the painful memories because at least it's home. And I think it's like, it's just like the way is very clear. Just let it go. Just like, you, yes, you did some things. You said some things. You thought some things because you grew up in a specific environment. And they and a lot of us, we have to realize, many of us were manipulated. 
Many of us were lied to. And it's not our fault that we ended up, like, so for so many of us, we want to blame ourselves for all of our weird neuroses and for all of our perceived problems and the way that we act. But it's like, no, like, I am behaving exactly as I was programmed to, mm -hmm. exactly as I was conditioned to. So what would it be like for me instead to just love that scared part of me that is reacting in a way that I'd rather it not? Mm. How do I love myself and forgive that, you know, the scared, you know, for me, it's like scared nine, 10 year old. Uh, wow. I, fi I find myself having emotions come up even now. Uh, you know, it's this, it's this thing. I'm just like, I'm so sick of being alone. It's like the thing that comes up over and over again. So I have to remind myself just like, look around. You're not. And so that's what I have to do for me is. Every single time there's a conflict that comes up, every single time there's something that disturbs my peace, I I, I try to bring radical self-compassion to it in a way that feels like over the top for most people, but I've never been more happy mm -hmm. and never been more just at peace than when I started treating my my sadness with compassion. And then as you do that, you find it, it comes back to you. It reintegrates. It's not this thing that's separate over here. It's this thing to bring in. Hmm. So that's what, I don't know if that answered the question at all now in hindsight. I'm sorry. No, that was beautiful. That was great. Thank you. I have a friend who told me this dream that she had that I thought was so powerful. She's going through like a really hard time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people that she was depending on in her life, have fallen mm -hmm. away in the last several months uh, or year. And especially during quarantine, she just feels really alone. And she had this dream where she was, she had, she dived off of this really tall diving board that was really scary. And she just went too deep and she realized she had to get to the surface. Like she was, it was too deep. She had, she was going to run out of breath. Mm -hmm. And so she's doing like this, frog like real powerhouse with her legs in her arms to try to get to the surface like oh, oh, oh. And she, that was real visceral and all of a sudden like right when she was about to run out of breath she hit her head on the bottom of the pool and oh. she realized she was all of her effort was bringing her the wrong way and wow. and so then she was just like oh and she just had to like let go and like oh no mm. i'm gonna die and she let go as soon as she started letting go, she felt her self start drifting towards the surface and eventually found the air. And I just thought that was such a powerful dream and so much like so much in that. And she, she's, but she was using an example of like these people have fallen away, but she's found that she's been like pushed out of the nest, if you will like the baby bird, mm, but yeah. the universe is still supporting her. Like she's seeing now that those systems of support were never actually the support in themselves. They were like God's fingers, right? Like these people were yeah. like God's fingers. And now there's other things. There's little, little synchronicities within the universe. There's little unforeseen relationships, unforeseen little moments of support and love that are all around if you just like mm. see it, just let go and like pay attention mm. and that support, that not aloneness, 
I just reminded me of how you just said, like, look around. You're not alone. It's if you, if you open your eyes, mm-hmm. it's, it's there. It, and it reminded me of that story about Jesus finding the coin in the fish's mouth. It's like, mm-hmm. you, you think your support's going to come from somewhere, but it's, that's just the end of the branch of the universe that you're, you're being sustained mm-hmm. and taken care of by what is mm-hmm. not just by that specific little thing that you think is supporting you. And mm-hmm. so finding that wherever you can with your eyes open can be such a profound experience, I think. I'm curious for y'all, what has been... Because all of us obviously have had some like interesting and lovely faith transitions in the past few years because lulls, it's the world. What's been the thing that has allowed you to healthfully move through the big like existential questions that come up? Or if there's been a practice that has been Mm -hmm. sustaining for you? For me, I think the two things are probably a framework that my parents gave me for human development Mm. and studying neuroscience. And the first one, both my parents are therapists and um, my dad's also a scholar and academic and and has um, kind of written extensively on healing family of origin wounds. Mm. And I remember a, a, a particular linguistic turn of phrase that we would say constantly around the dinner table was human growth and development, human growth and development. I remember hearing from a very early age that it was actually good and right to change how we see the world. That that was actually inherently part of our mm. whole person. And I could break it down, say bio, psycho, social, spiritual, but really like our whole person development, we, we are wired to change and develop and grow. And that that is actually an expression of our flourishing. And in fact, mm-hmm. if we inhibit that in some way, we could look at that and say, where's the pathology? Why, why is the system stuck? Why, mm-hmm. why is it looking the same as it did before? And when that is the paradigm that's been given to you about being human, that holds the ability for you to change and see mm-hmm. that that is good. And for your change to even surprise you and surprise Mm -hmm. other people and that it isn't a dangerous thing, but it is actually a mark of health. So I think that particular thing uh, has allowed me to feel so curious Mm -hmm. uh, and to allow myself to be different without it feeling threatening. And then the second piece is, is although the model of psychology has been oriented typically around the pathology of a person, like when we actually look at the origins of the field of study, it was around what, what is problematic here and how do we get it back to some sort of like typical functioning and even the origins of therapy, looking at dysfunction, psychopathology, and then providing environments that correct. But only recently have we seen 
kind of recently in the wave of this field, more research into an exploration kind of empirically into what is it, well, what is a non-pathologic, like pathologized perspective of the human and, and what's going on there. And we actually see that it's our disposition as humans to flourish and be well. That's actually how our system wants to be. And our system mm. doesn't necessarily want to stay stuck, but if we don't have the right conditions, mm-hmm. then that's how we exist. And a, a simple analogy that I think about constantly in my practice is how, if you have a, a paper cut, you don't have to think about it healing for it to heal, mm. right? Your, your body actually wants yeah. to repair itself, that there is this, this drive in us that is pushing us always, always towards uh, goodness, thriving, connection, interdependence, mm-hmm. reparation, and that that is actually a fundamental condition of our existence, and it's all of these stories that told us otherwise that we mm-hmm. have ourselves like kind of tripped up in. Yeah. So that, I think those two things have really been supportive for me to feel like my exploration is both good and will take me towards good. Mm-hmm. And that those two things that I can, I can always trust. Right. And I understand it's kind of backwards because I'm going in through like, hypercerebral empiricism <laughs> as an approach to like trusting <laughs> spirituality and personal growth. But that that's what works for me. So mm. <laughs> that's so interesting because you're a you're like such a heart person. Mm. Mm-hmm. That like joining the head in that way seems to be powerful mm-hmm. for you. I'm kind of the opposite. Like I mm-hmm. am more naturally use my head to try to find center and try to and like that's where i tend to be based so for me practices Mm -hmm. that involve the heart more bring me into a more Mm. i just i thought that was interesting which i think is i mean when i'm thinking about what actually is spiritual growth like if i could cut across like trans religious trans theological positions i think it is anything that takes us outside of what we know and the story that we've been telling about what is mm. anything that stretches us just beyond that well, seems to be kind of a universal condition for our spiritual growth and development. So if hey. you think Come on, Hillary. God is, what did you say? We were just preaching. Keep, keep we were preach, preach. Okay. I've been out of church too long. What do they call them? <laughs> <laughs> but if we have this idea that God is here, then actually what we need for our growth is to believe, Oh, God was not, not here. God was there. Or God is you. Oh, maybe God is me. Oh, God is not this. Well, that's exactly where God is. And this Mm. is the box that I've been told that God is in. And for me to actually have healthy spirituality, healthy growth is to somehow stretch and expand and step outside of that, whatever it is. Mm. So I think about the spiritual growth and development that comes from uh, men within patriarchal patriarchal context, learning to listen, or people who are in consumeristic and capitalistic context, learning to be without, um, yes. kind of a dependence on, on product and money and an achievement in certain ways, or for women who are experiencing the kind of self-silencing that comes with being in a particular context to practice using voice or for the queer community who has been dismissed and devalued to say, no, 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 no we're, we're good. And actually we know we know God in an intimate way. You thought God wasn't in us? Hmm. 
actually, we're closer. So, my, my. Yeah? Hillary, that's one of the... I'm, I'm giving that a top five Hillary oh. rants of all time. Oh, That was really good. Yeah. And I think I want to I add to that list. Yeah, I think Ken. just like those, those of us who are experienced with having certainty all the time, being able to go. sit in the uncertain. There oh. you go. There's the Hello. connect. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. I think my, my evolution was kind of embedded in the very thing that felt oppressive. And I feel like that's been my experience with God, with spiritual evolution is the very thing that is meant for my oppression oftentimes gives me tools to liberate myself. And Mm. growing up in the black church, one of the kind of core tenets of a lot of our uh, theology or, or orthopraxy really is this idea of progressive revelation that God is constantly giving us progressive revelation, Mm -hmm. taking the children of Israel, you know, out of Egypt and into the promised land or, um, and, you know, and Moses receiving the 10 commandments, which is a type of progressive revelation from where they had come from. Um, and then obviously seeing the ark through the prophets all the way into Jesus, um, you know, you heard it said unto you, I for an eye, but I say, love your brother as yourself, progressive revelation. Um, and mm. so growing up in church, it's like, you know, those, the moralisms and the, the purity culture and the, you know, uh, all the oppressive things that we can all rant about evangelicalism, uh, was funny because it carried part of this liberation because it, it was giving us language to learn how to see God mm. outside of that box. Um, and to, to bring us, to kind of pop us out of the, uh, the the closed experience that religious communities often create for us, right? They, they're often these ecosystems or these greenhouses to kind of like grow the plants and, and you know, but at some point mm. your plant grows beyond the, uh, if it grows, it's going to grow beyond the greenhouse. It's going to reach taller and it's going to want to go wider and the greenhouse no longer works. So where do you get rooted? And I feel like I know that's been my experience. I know that's been my um feeling of like, this house is too small. This house is too, the spiritual house is too small. This, Mm. this, some of us even feel like our, this physical house is too small. Like my body feels, I feel limited, but I know that there's more. Um, and so it's scary though, to go, how do I plant myself now in, Mm. in a new soil outside of the greenhouse? Cause I was with the other plants and I was safe. Right. And I was contained Mm. and I was in formation. And the funny thing is you think the greenhouse is the forest and then you open your eyes and you realize there's a whole, whole world. Come on, William. And a whole mm. terrain that is so mm-hmm. much wider and bigger and more expansive than any of us could ever have imagined. And the field is just open. We have been so mm. contained to to picture ourselves and each other in these small containers. And yet, mm-hmm. yet there is still something that has always called my soul yeah. to a higher plane, to a – there's a reach there. And I feel like, the again, the people who, who – Oftentimes, whether intentionally or unintentionally, oppressed me, gave me the tools for that liberation, whether they meant to or not, because God, Hashem, is way bigger Mm. than their Mm. ability to use God to keep me in the box. Oh, yeah. Come on, somebody. There it is. (laughs) Ooh, Ooh, everybody's preaching. Everybody's preaching. (laughs) You guys guys have... um, you and the community that was where some of the people on the Zoom call here were talking before um, this started. And 
you've changed my mind about some things in, in okay. regards to tell us. Yeah. Um, so one of the ways this conversation started behind the scenes was Hillary recommended talking about reconstruction and that resonated with Kevin. And then I pushed to like, can we frame it in a little different way? Because reconstruction, I have some thoughts about why I don't like about that idea. And mm. as I'm hearing all of you and, and the, the zoom people and the three of you, um, I love, I can just tell my, I, that five thing that coming from the head first reconstruction has always immediately sounded like reconstructing a belief system to me. Cause that's what was deconstructed was primarily a belief system and hearing that that's really not how everybody experiences their spirituality primarily through that lens and not what they rebuild as just another cerebral construct, but those planters or the forest or practices or ways of being together, ways of connecting, reconstructing, not just beliefs. Cause I, I think beliefs mm-hmm. are rigidities in being. Yeah. Um, but faith is dynamic and living mm-hmm. and connected and life and reconstructing structures that are not, they're not, they don't have to be rigid belief structures. They can be patterns of behavior, patterns of connection, patterns of um, new ways of being that, that are helpful. And so I've lost my uh, bone to pick. <laughs> with reconstruction that's Kevin, and that looks like you got an it oh my goodness <laughs> no i was just writing some things you were saying down later because i'm like oof, that's good um mm. see i need to come to conversations like this with like a pen and paper like i did back yeah. in the day like ready to annotate <laughs> good thing it's everything yeah. my being pa- recorded <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's right, that's right. you're right uh. thank you but I, I like what you're saying about that, Michael, because I think we exist in a, and this is particularly a dynamic of settler colonial colonialism, mm-hmm. which is like the supremacy of belief as an idea, right. as a cognitive construct that we forget about the lived elements, the lived mm-hmm. experience of what it means to be human and have moved out of the lived experience into our evaluation mm-hmm. or cognition. And so like I remember having a huge, I think, pivot in terms of how I understood not only faith and spirituality, but existence when I learned about the origins of the word belief as actually coming from the words by life, that we think about belief as through the lens of, I think, cognitive supremacy. And we forget that beliefs are meant to actually point us or point from or be di- bi-directionally influenced or in influence with life, how we live, that actually we're supposed to be able to tell our beliefs by how we live, not just the things that we dictate to each other verbally. Who so do you say you... that I am? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Ooh. Who do you that, say that I am? That yeah. is like the thing I come back to all the time is... And I think this is like the one thing that my mom, like she can still think I'm a Christian if she wants to. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. But like, I wouldn't, I don't know if, I don't <laughs> think I would, no, I don't think I'd call myself a Christian. Other people would look at my life and they say, oh, you talk about Jesus a whole lot. Oh, you reference the Bible. Mm. You reference. And for me, it's like, yeah, because that's the language I was given. But I am so like, I, I use that because it's almost like 
that's the road by which I got out of uh, imperial Christianity, mm. so to speak. Um, and so I talk about it in those terms because, A, it's helpful for me to like have be able to explain how I believe. And also to everyone else, there are a zillion people out there who understand that language. Yeah. And so when I think about my work as uh, as a spiritual director or a teacher, I, you, um, something Marketing 101 says, say it in the way that your audience needs to hear, not necessarily the way that you want to say it. And so not that I want to like market my faith to anybody, but when I'm thinking about how do I connect a message of uh, love and transformation and endless connection um, if people don't understand what the fuck I'm talking about, you know? Theology is only as useful as it is helpful. Mm. And if you have all this high theology Oof. up and like, you know, in our yeah. school, like I spent, an I spent an entire two semesters discussing systematic theology and I had an issue in every single one of my essays because I said, I truly don't see why this question is relevant. <laughs> I would end all of my essays. Mm. I would go through it. I would do it at the end of every essay. I would say that because I just, because like, it's only, how does it play out in my yeah. real life? How's it playing out in the life of my friends? Is it moving me, my black friends further towards liberation or further away from it? That's really all I care about. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you can look at your beliefs and say, why do I believe what I do? It's because like it pushes me in this direction towards love, justice, equanimity. And also I feel better <laughs> on top of everything else. <laughs> and I think that shouldn't mm -hmm. be discounted either. The fact that mm -hmm. a feeling good. Yes. Um, yeah, so I had a, a patient come into therapy a couple of years ago. This ago really, really stands out to me when I think about this conversation. And this person said, how come does my good theology make me feel so bad? My, my. And I think that that means that we need to do something different, right? That the impact it has on our lived experience gets to count too. And I think that's also a reason why when we're working on creating new communities or we're separating ourselves from like former religious communities or fundamentalist communities, it gets hard because we have all these people who tell us, I'm telling you this because I love you. I'm telling you you're going to hell because you're gay because I love you. I'm telling you that you having premarital sex is gross and disgusting because I love you. And so it's like, how could like, everyone's like, well, how can they say these things? I'm just like, it's very simple. Just like that, because they think it's loving. And so it's um, a matter of like, whose perception am I trusting? Mm -hmm. My own, like, you know, like, like you said, just like, if you have a paper cut, mm -hmm. it's data. If you're hurting, if your beliefs are leading you towards a painful experience of the world, that's data. Respond to it like it's actually valid. Because it is. I want to go back to this conversation of deconstruction, reconstruction. Um, well, even the way we frame this conversation as, uh, you know, you first construct, then you deconstruct, then you reconstruct. 
uh, I don't think is really truthful to the natural messy rhythms of life, right? Like Hillary knows as a therapist, the five stages of grief are not like systematic stages <laughs> of like, now you do this and now you do this. And once you do this, you never go back to that, right? You know how cyclical they, they can be. Mm. And I think there's something inherent within deconstruction that automatically creates a reconstruction. So a lot of people say the title of this episode, so what, what now? Right? Like, what do we do now? As mm. if the deconstruction didn't already illuminate for us mm. uh, what is who we are hey, and, yes. and, and what we actually do believe. Now, whether you can articulate mm. it or not, whether you've actually written it out, uh, thought through it or not, but the very act of deconstruction in and of itself to me is inherently you, you are not just tearing down, you are reconstructing something too. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes people get lost because they are like, oh, well, I, I need to reconstruct now. I've deconstructed, so now I need to reconstruct. And I'm like, mm. no, you, if this is, this is an abstract idea, you are embodied, if this is real for you, you're embodying it, which means that the thing that's been torn down has actually, there has a new thing has actually been erected in, in your mm. life. You can, no, mm. nothing can ever just be torn <laughs> inside of you. Nothing can ever just be torn down without mm. some like ability internally, whether you can acknowledge it or not, to know what yeah. it, what that now is like i know it's not that mm-hmm. which means intuitively i must know that it does look like something over here again whether I, I i articulate it or not or consciously bring that in my awareness or not is one thing and i think mm-hmm. sitting with ourselves even those of us that feel like we've been in deconstruction or whatever i think if you really sit with yourself and really listen to yourself you have the reconstruction you have the new thing that that's being erected in your life the new house that's being built uh, in which you're standing firm on um and a lot of people feel like well i just threw it all away uh, so i don't know what i believe i'm like actually you do know what you believe you're just afraid mm. to admit it that's right you're afraid to <gasps> own it yeah and do you can it go the other way too yeah where in what we think about is reconstruction. Yep. It, that we are also holding okay, in our emerging, we are letting go and tearing down certain things. Yeah. Like, mm. is it, I'm, yeah. I, am I hearing you say that they're, they're not these binary categories, but they're always in like dialectical. Yeah. They're, they're mm-hmm. dialectical. They're cyclical. Um, because the, the new thing that gets reconstructed will eventually you realize it's not enough room for you. Right. Yeah. And, and this is why, this is honestly, I mean, I think the Bible uses the analogy of, of the spirit man, so to speak, as a house, as an internal house or a temple, right? Like that mm. the, you are the new temple, right? You are the container of the Holy spirit, but it's a house. Mm. And in my father's house has many rooms, right? Like, and, and what we're doing is we're, we're constantly in a construction of this house in a tearing down of things, a stripping of things and a building up of things. And then to serve the purpose for the season of time we're in. And then ultimately we realized now that doesn't fully work for the new season we're in or the new, mm-hmm. the new uh, uh, thing we're putting our hand to. So we have to maybe tear down this wing of the house and actually reconstruct it differently. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, wait, I actually didn't build that right. Or it, it left out some things. So maybe we got to go back in. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it is a constant flow and energy of construction, deconstruction, reconstruction yeah. that never lets up. Hmm. It's hmm. a, it's a dance between um, performance and critique. Yeah. It's where, like, we have the practice, whatever it is, mm. try it out. How did it feel? How, how does it make the room feel? I mean, I think about, like, uh, my church that I go to here in Atlanta. When, you, when we realized we could not meet on Sunday anymore, what do we do? We pivot. We figure out the next thing. We, we, yes. 
we figure out, oh, this is a non-essential service. What is the essential Mm -hmm. service of our spiritual community? We check in with one another. We still pray with one another. We're, uh, you know, still meeting on Zoom on Sundays, which is still weird. But like for people, like your practice can pivot. And that's how I know that I came from evangelicalism because I love (laughs) (laughs) that feels like a a five point sermon series. Uh, This is like we are we are adapting. Right. Mm -hmm. This is the thing with the paper cut is it's actually wired into us and it is our goodness and the expression of the holy in us that we can adapt. Mm -hmm. And it's the fragmenting or the inhibiting of that that feels to me like antithetical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that we are are wired to change. We are wired to pivot. mm -hmm. It's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was thinking about like for so many of us, the way that it starts out is that our brains get trained, you know, maybe in our old, uh, old world to like, you know, our brains are already where I like move towards pleasure and move away from pain. And so I think for me, it's when you live in an abusive system, like that kind of gets a little cloudy because your fear will tell you, or just like your experience will tell you, if you thought this was bad, it's even worse out there. Mm-hmm. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth out mm-hmm. there. It's like, it's a, it's an automatic fearfulness of being an other again. Um, and I think when we start dropping or changing beliefs, like it, uh, there is a little bit of, at least, uh, in my, in my experience, and I think other people maybe, it's just like, I don't want to, like, if I leave this behind, am I leaving God behind? Mm. Am am I going to be out? And I think it kind of comes back to this fear of what if I get punished for doing something bad um, and this belief that God is punitive um, that still holds on for so many. It's like the idea of what if I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. And that's a really great question. Like what if we're wrong? I mean, we should probably repent sooner than later. Um, but the better question that always turns me on a little bit is what if we're right? Rather than like, like, tiptoeing around these ideas like William you were saying I'm gonna get what mm -hmm. William you were saying that as you are deconstructing you are already putting something new in its place because it was the it was the more uh delicious idea that replaced the other one if you will like the more appealing thing the thing that made more sense came in and replaced this thing at least on the conscious level the subconscious body level that's still wired for self-preservation that's where we have to meet ourselves with love and love and kindness and compassion as we like learn what it is to trust ourselves again mm-hmm. learn what it is to say no i'm right i know that i'm right and how i know that i'm right is the data i feel better i am more connected to my body uh i am having less days that are you know consistently blue um you know, I'm learning how to love. Hmm. Like, what would it be like for us to believe that we might be right? Mm-hmm. I um, mm-hmm. I loved what you, I think it was before we started recording, Kevin, that you were talking about the Course in Miracles uh, and basically the two ideas that it comes down to, which is, mm. um, can you say the two ideas again? Yeah. Course in, it says a Course in Miracles can be summed up in two statements. One, nothing real can be threatened. And two, nothing unreal exists. So when you when you 
bring that into this idea about Mm -hmm. deconstruction, reconstruction, anything that you can deconstruct or reconstruct is not real. So that question of like, what, but what if I go too far? You cannot, you You can't deconstruct what actually is because by the Mm. time you arrive, what actually is, it is not parsable into thought. It is not dissectable. It is not speakable. Mm. It is the ineffable. It is the infinite. It is this. It is that which you cannot put boxes around anymore. So you can't de- you can't go too far. You can't. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing yeah. to worry about in this process. Yeah, that's and that's it. why good religion is always trying to push us forward because it out it intrinsically understands that it understands yes. like once you name it, it can't really like it it loses that thing. So therefore, you know it. It's constantly begging us through parables. Jesus saying things like, "You can't put new wine into old wineskins," right? Like, mm. and and so, mm. what do we care about the wineskin or the wine? And I would mm. imagine the wine being the the metaphor for you know uh, uh, ultimate reality and the and the mm. thing that's ineffable that we can't quite name. And mm. it's like we're always yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. you know, um, and we need these at best. We need flexible wineskins that are uh, that are new that aren't old containers that we could at least begin mm. to have this experience and name it, but know that real quick, it becomes old. <laughs> it, it goes there instantly. Mm. Proverbs tells us that my Lord's house is a house of new and old treasures. And whenever I think about that, this is mm. so, the, you were talking about earlier in life, how, how like our old pastors sometimes armed us with the things that Jesus constructed. Yep. And this was something from my old pastor. And that's the way he talked about it was like within our own tradition, like we need to like look at our house. Like there are certain things that are for a time and a season. There are certain beliefs that help us Mm -hmm. in the moment. And then there are certain things that will pass into, you know, the storehouse. You know, there are certain things that are going to be put away or just saying, hey, do you remember when we used to think that? That was weird. And it's so, It now for me, it feels natural. I think at first being able to just name the mistakes or the errors in belief I had before. That seemed like a scary thing for a while. Cause it's like, if I admit that I was wrong, then I'm bad. Mm. If I'm bad, I'm not good. It was like, no, 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 that's not up for mm. negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. You're naming something super important, which is that inherent worth gets to be different mm. and distinct from and untouchable by, by not only the beliefs, but even the the life, the by life parts of this too, that mm. we, like, I'm thinking back to that question I asked you right off the bat, Kevin, about how, what has allowed you to be spiritually curious and adventurous mm. and, and your, it sounds to me like that safety within your community and that knowing that you're seen and loved and how, how you have been able to, through all of the practices that you've engaged in, hold that within yourself And when that feels the most true, then everything gets to be an extension of that, not a way to find our way back into loving ourselves and being good.
there's like, I have particular thoughts about this from a developmental psychology perspective in terms of what our brains mm. actually need to, to exist in a world. But I'm curious about, uh, the construction piece of this too. Mm-hmm. Um, here we are talking about the, what now, mm-hmm. but that inherently points to there was something before and what do we do about right. the something before? And, and is it possible to give ourselves and each other and perhaps the next generation a more well-rounded yeah uh loving version of the what so that so that maybe and here's here's another part of the question so that maybe they don't have to do the what now or is the what now actually inherently good and part of our evolution and we will constantly be needing it and so why do we do we even need to carry the burden of giving a better Mm -hmm. what as if we need to protect them from that that evolution process. I don't the image the image I got is I don't I don't know if we can ever spare people the journey. I don't think we can ever mm. spare them the journey. Like we can't say mm. don't do that. But I think what we can mm. do is give them tools in their knapsack to say this will here's a here's a compass mm. to help you find your way back home. You're going to have to go on this journey because your soul desires it. Your soul needs to. This will be part of your, mm-hmm. your growth and your evolution. But hey, at least maybe I can give you, uh, here's a tent for the journey. Here's a compass. Here's mm-hmm. a book. Here's a, you know, here's some boot. Here's a slight here's map. Here's a slight map. Here's a, here, here's yeah. some boots. So when you tread water, you know, you don't, <laughs> you know, you don't get too wet, right? Like I think we're able as, as models, as leaders, um, you know, to a new generation, I think that's at best we're all we're only able to give is that type of mm-hmm. uh, encouragement and tools for the journey. But ultimately, these kids got to go on their journeys in the same way I had to go on my journey mm-hmm. and the same way you had to go on your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like I grew up with parents that constantly tried to like spare me. And they were always like, I went through that. So you don't have to like my parents were always like, mm-hmm. I, you know, my dad was like, mm-hmm. I used to smoke weed and drink. So therefore, you don't have to. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> now wait a second. Wait a second. That sounds like a raw deal in my book. Wait a second. You got to have the fun in the seventies. But... No, that's the same thing. It's all. It's the same thing with those pastors to say like I had sex before I was married, but none of you kids get yes, to do it. I've learned. I, I've gone through it. I've learned. I used to have sex with so many yes. women all the time, and it's like, can I learn? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's what they're saying. Um, that's what these kids are saying. They're like, I got to yeah. go through it. Like people right. said, don't go to white evangelical churches. And I was like, guess what I'm going to do? <laughs> I'm going to go. Oh, wow. Like sometimes you got to go on a journey. Like the same thing happened to me. My friend said, don't go to that, you know, evangelical sexy yeah. church yep. in Midtown. Cause they're going to break yep. your heart. Two years later, they what they do? Your heart. <laughs> Unbring my heart. My, uh, my auntie Sorry. said she was like, "Be careful with those white people who are all about abortion." <laughs> she goes, "They are gonna. They don't really care about you. Mm. They don't really care about black people. They don't really like she." And I was like, "No, you just don't get it." You know, at the time, I mean, I was like Oof. young twenties, but I was like, "Auntie, that's just you know, that's at the time it was like that's reverse racism." <laughs> you know, like you're just judging white people, <laughs> right? Like, and she's like, she's like, just judging the judging fruit, the fruit exactly. And now I actually, I've told her in the last couple of years, several times, I'm like, you told, you warned me, you warned me and you were right. She was like, I know, <laughs> but you had to go through that. You had to go through mm. that. That was part of your soul journey. And what mm. are the tools for the journey Oof. then? Like, what's the tent? What are the boots? Like, is yeah. it, is it you knowing your auntie is going to be there? 
That's mm. that. No matter what. That's a lot of is it. Is it what my parents told me about how like it's good to grow and change, and so you don't have to be afraid of that? Mm. Yeah. Yes. Like what are yes yes and and mm. what else? Like I, what are the tools? Yeah. I think for me, the tools I have picked up is um, it's gonna sound cheesy, but my uh, what I would say is like um. Uh, they, they would say like bhakti, like bhakti yoga, which is like a devotional mm. yoga practice. I have a devotion. Yes. Um, I have a de- devotional practice. Um, come on now. Come on, somebody. We're excited about devotional Bringing, practices now? No, <laughs> it just something. <laughs> <laughs> listen, you know, listen, everyone, no. revival has broken out on the liturgist <laughs> podcast. Say amen now. Hallelujah. No, yes. No, it's because it's not just bhakti. It's karma yoga and it's yana yoga mm-hmm. and it's kiri yoga. it's all so there's different types of yoga it's all these different ways of coming to union and they're they're tools they're technologies mm-hmm. so i'm yes. so glad that i learned the technologies from my pentecostal upbringing there were some yeah. technologies that yes. have transferred the metaphors have mm-hmm. changed the the, yes. the myths have changed um but there's some technologies <laughs> of uh, our past, our past that you can that you can bring along with you. So the Meditation, embodiment, yeah. the the piece, like Hillary's mm-hmm. being asking, being specific, right? Like, so right. so you know, yoga or um, even switching back old school, like praise and worship, and the type of like radical mm-hmm. expression of 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 dance through. Uh, um, as a, a dance as a form of worship as a way to come back into yourself and feel embodied I think that's yes. a tool uh, for the journey like mm-hmm. you said no matter what the metaphor is or the or the the religion there's so many spiritual technologies um, what would be mm-hmm. what would be some others um, I uh, I'm a big fan of I mean like daily practice of reading a workbook and of course like the workbook for students and a course in miracles one idea a day five minutes has changed my life I, um, having a practice of, um, uh, this is going to sound with the practice of my, the self-care. Did I take my meds? Am I drinking enough water? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I eating, uh, enough that feels good? Am I moving my body in a way that feels good? Those are my five questions. Mm -hmm. And that's so that for me, I'm committed to that as a practice so that I can always I want so I can experience the world positively so so I can feel good. Um, I think um, my personal practice, I have learned to read tarot and work with Oracle cards, um, which for me has been a tool of deep self-reflection and also like a way of connecting with what I would call Holy Spirit and what I think many people would like that feeling of all this, you know, the connection between everyone, like, uh, the tool of um, breathing. Yes. Just like a concentrated breath practice. Um, my last thing I would say is like, I try to, I try to do a little confession with people. Like whenever, like I know that I've got something that I need help with. And it's not even so much like confession as much as like, I need to ask for help hmm. and not feeling shame about needing to mm-hmm. ask for help. So I think that's how I've reframed it about less around like confession, because that feels like I'm about to get punished and more like I am sharing a part of my story with someone so I can ask for help. Hmm. And so for me, like I've had some weird uh, food related compulsive behaviors come up since the quarantine started. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to ask for help 
And at first it felt really, I didn't realize it was going to feel shameful, but it did. And then I got, I got the help I needed. So I think mm-hmm. like creating practices of, of normalizing, asking for help. Mm. <laughs> if that's, yes. Yes. If that and that sense. can work yeah. in all those things can work in different seasons of your life. And again, and they're, they're not oppressive in that way, right? Like those are tools you're giving people for the journey that no matter where you are ideologically on a spectrum, religiously on a spectrum, sexually on this, whatever spectrum you, you are on, um, mm. you know, like I would add to that, um, always read outside your depth, you know, that. Wow. Um, find a, find a book that if you're super into this philosophy or that's really rocking your world, find one thing that's kind of the polar opposite. Um, as a way to challenge your your frameworks, because I know for me that's what helped lead me out of a lot of things. W- were I was very much in this one philosophy of thought, whether it was you know Pentecostalism or supernatural prophetic world, right? And but I was also like, oh, but here's a Walter Brueggemann book, <laughs> you know, here's a Rachel Held Evans book, you know, um, mm-hmm. and always just throwing one or two of those in the mix um, uh, to to get me out of either or thinking, even with things that I was primarily agreeing with and thought were, you know, everything, but teaching, but my family taught me that because my parents in the denomination that we grew up in, you know, there was very strong holiness orthodoxy, right? But I would watch my parents and my aunts uh, start reading like books outside of the denomination, right? Oh, oh, this guy's actually saying some things that kind of differ here and a little interesting. So I grew up feel like watching my parents and my that whole generation and my aunties and uncles kind of do spiritual exploration within the confounds, mm-hmm. but still like, hey, I'm going to dip over here and actually like entertain some thoughts. And it would cause them and I would hear their conversations. And I, I feel like that was a, a tool that I learned early on um, mm-hmm. was to never just be over here always, you know, and I feel like that saved me throughout my into all my spiritual mm-hmm. phases and evolutions was and it always helped me find that was a compass for me. It helped me find mm-hmm. my way back to myself. Mm-hmm. I have something I know that we can all probably talk about. Um, for a lot of people like who come from our world, worship music, especially Christian worship music was a really powerful tool for many of our connection, especially in many of our early spiritual experiences. Um, and I'm wondering, cause like everyone's asking just like, what is progressive Christian worship music or like, what is inclusive worship music or what? And I wonder for y'all, do y'all have some kind of, what is music a part of your, I mean, like two of you, I know for sure music is a part of your expression. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering like, yeah, what mm-hmm. is like, what role does music or what, how is worship different now? If there is like a worship practice mm. for you. Mm-hmm. Michael, do you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. Uh, for me, it was funny because I, I would always on the stage as a worship leader, I, I would always like, not always, I, I would occasionally try to exhort the congregation. Like this is just more opportunity. Like your life is an opportunity to be worship. Just bring these mm-hmm. songs and this music and this singing into that as well. And you can worship, you can practice the presence of God, washing dishes like brother Lawrence did. You can, you can, mm-hmm. you know, watch your kids as a, a form of worship. And I would tell people that. Um, and then <laughs> finally it kind of actually clicked for me at some point because <laughs> it was for me, I needed the music 
at first. That was mm. my primary mode. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. but the, I think that technology, um, it, the actual technology there wasn't. I mean, music is involved in it, but I think mm-hmm. the actual thing that's happening is like a, a heart opening. Is a mm-hmm. is a a letting go to the moment. That in yes. music you're you're in the moment, right? You have to be in the moment when you're in music, or you're late, you're rushing, you're one of you're not in it, you're not in the groove, you're not yeah. playing music. Music yeah. by definition is being in the moment. So it was very helpful for me, and it still is. But like bringing that inner thing that was happening to the rest of my life, mm-hmm. now there's a music. There's a, it's all kind of like combined in strange ways where it's like there is a music mm. to ev- everything when you're in rhythm with your life when you're in the moment of your Fuck. life when you're yeah. in flow um and that's sorry to go back to the yoga thing one more time i just why i danced <laughs> when you started saying that it's just something clicked for me about um and just to be clear i think most westerners when you hear yoga you think of like yoga studios where you go and like mm-hmm. exercise um and that's not that's not yoga means union and uh there's different different people say there's different like number of kinds of yoga but i like sadguru is a teacher that i really like and he talks about four different types of yoga and a lot of these things that we've all been saying in here the different types of like reading outside of your depth and all this stuff um fit i think fit into these four types of yoga um but i'm i'm a sucker for like meta constructs you know mm-hmm. um <laughs> but like you were saying kevin bhakti it, it, that's like the emotional um devotional heart centered uh it's a path of devotion and um <clears throat> karma is activity so like i think about justice work i think about um even like our earliest forms of activity and like being involved in the community and my evangelical upbringing were a bit more uh, destructive. They were a little bit more like, let's go out and proselytize. Um, But there was a a show up element that I'm glad I experienced, even though overall it was pretty messed up. Um, There was an element of like putting boots on the ground. Going back to that boots analogy of like actually showing up in the world um, Mm -hmm. with some sort of activism, some sort of like activity that, that action that brings you into union. Um, yana yoga is the, is the yoga of knowledge. It is the, the yoga like that's, that reading would fall into like learning how to think, learning how to tell the truth, learning how Mm -hmm. to align your, what Hillary, some of what Hillary was talking about before with like using, using your head to connect your heart. Um, that's the path of yana. Kriya is the, um, is like energy basically it's like um so maybe some of the breathing stuff you were talking about kevin um using your energy different ways of practicing with energy that bring you into union and when you have these technologies and sometimes it's most of us have one or two that are kind of primary um but when you can start combining them and letting all of them inform you then you can move through all sorts of deconstructing and reconstructing and you've got tools in your hands to be able to move back towards the center, move back to integrate life into and in, in this moment in a way that you stay conscious of what's happening and that you don't get lost on these little rabbit trails of your idols. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the things that the beliefs 
can become tools rather than rigid uh, prisons for yeah. you. The things that yeah. you're doing can be like launching pads into life rather than yeah. uh, graveyards of <laughs> dead graveyards. ideas. Um, there's a there's a popular wor- what a contrast. There's a popular worship song out right now about graveyards. <laughs> is there? Uh, is there really? About Perfect how he turns mean. God turns graveyards into gardens. Oh, it's alliteration. Yeah, there it, it works. Um, to answer your question about worship music, I I think there are two different types of. I'm going to break it into two different types of worship. When when we talk about this, are we talking about? people in a congregational setting or an individual setting singing songs that are creedal in nature that are um, songs that affirm like Christian theology um, and God's interaction with humanity um, in our local church, but as well as individually, I would put that as like one category. I'd probably call that like, uh, you know, congregational singing or uh, like corporate corporate worship. worship or creedal singing. But I think what a lot of people actually miss when they say they miss worship music, I don't know if that's actually what they miss. There's this mm. other element of worship music that is propaganda, meaning a lot <laughs> a lot of the and I don't I don't actually mean that with crazy negative connotations. I'm really not even a, a putting that on that. What I'm saying is when when we would be in certain settings and sing certain songs, they weren't mm-hmm. simply just worship songs of adoration and to the beauty and majesty of God, mm-hmm. they were songs meant to affirm that we're all on the same page and also right. songs meant to call other people mm. into it. There was a propaganda and a right. movement piece. Like when you listen Ooh. to Hillsong, Hillsong isn't just singing songs for their local church. Hillsong is trying, is trying to indoctrinate you <laughs> with their value yeah. systems. Um, and, and they use mm. catchy rhymes and, and lyrics and melodies. And, and there's something about it that feels global and feels like I'm a part of something. I don't, you know, like very few people are just talking about their local church or their like individual prayer time and saying, I really miss that. What they're talking about is I mm. miss feeling like we were like in this worship movement, this prayer movement, this like sense. And so when you brought up the thing about progressive Christianity wanting that, I actually think what progressive Christianity is wanting is they want a unified message that they can proclaim to the world because that's what the Christian, the the worship movement has done that they, you know, the, the, all the major worship movements that we've seen over the last 20, 30 years in, in North American history, um, didn't just do it for their churches. They did it for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted the world to know their value system. And so I think the question has to be for people that are considered quote unquote progressive Christians or, or affirming Christians or whatever is you can't just, it's not just about singing songs for yourself. You actually have to sing songs for the world um, and songs that mm-hmm. reinforce your value system. And it does need to be a type of propaganda. And actually I think part of mm-hmm. you, part of people miss that. They miss feeling mm-hmm. that connection to a global movement um, right. that felt charismatic or it felt like supernatural. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think first people have to identify what they're actually missing. Um, are you just missing right. that personal connection to to God in an in mm-hmm. adoration, beauty, yeah. worship that's just creedal and, and, and affirms your personal devotion to God? Or are, are you looking to be a part of a catalytic prophetic movement that, that, rep, that sings your value systems to the rest of the church and the world? Um, and mm. I think when that to me is the first question, and then you can figure out what we, what, you know? Yeah. Cause I think that's really what many people are saying is 
I miss the feeling of being connected to something bigger than myself. And music, I think, is a type of magic. Dead serious. Yeah. yeah. And Can I, I think jump music in too when you're yeah. when you're done. Oh god. Yeah, ahead. I was gonna say like all music does is like it gets past the conscious mind and gets into the subconscious and like touches that part of our soul that has a deep desire to say, I love you, you're special, you belong. And I think like spirit kind of speaks through those things, but then also, unfortunately, it has some not so great things attached to it. Um so when I think of worship music now, just it's my and you know what, let me not go that way. Hillary, you go. Okay. So I want to hear whatever, wherever you weren't going to go. I will, really I will go there go afterwards. There. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking about what you'd said before, Kevin, about like, what is the impact it has on my life? And does it make me feel good? And mm-hmm. when I think about singing and worship music and the role it has in my life, I think less about, um, maybe theology or the, mm-hmm. the felt sense on a, on a cosmic level and more about the fact that vibration in our voice Mm. box activates Mm. the larynx branch of our vagus nerve, which signals that it's okay for trauma to move through our body. (laughs) And that humming, Mm. humming is a self-care practice because it signals to your nervous system. It's okay. You can move it through. You can talk about it. You're safe. You can connect. You can ask for help. You can reach out. This is like one of the clinical applications of polyvagal theory is to say, hum when you're distressed, sing when you're distressed, name Mm -hmm. something that's going on for you. And if you're feeling fragmented and like you can't activate that, hum, swallow, Mm -hmm. sing, But what's the difference between, between doing that with, you could do that with Beyonce, right? Like- this Absolutely, is what I'm saying is that's like, where I, funny enough. This is where I was going to go. Yeah, that we get to start to break down what worship music means and what it yes. does if it brings us into wholeness mm. and brings us into more expression and integration. Is it not God? Is it not the Spirit moving through us? And why couldn't we do that with like Frere Jacques? In mm. actually, mm-hmm. isn't that kind of a racist song? Maybe probably. Je ne sais pas. Je ne sais pas. I think that there's like a nefarious <laughs> origin of that song. Maybe. Um, so like some other nefarious origin to Be- almost Beyonce. all those old things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Something like, I was actually going to go there, mm. which is why it didn't go there. But you went there, so apparently there the go. spirit has confirmed. Um, <laughs> but my, I actually have a playlist on my on my uh, Spotify that is called "From Me to Me," mm. and how yes. I have worked, how I've moved my worship is less about me singing to God. And I think about my body singing to me Mm -hmm. and like, I start getting teary thinking about it. Cause it's like, um, the song I love, I go running now. I'm a runner. I know one time I said that like, I would only run if zombies chase me, but now I love it because you know, pandemic has taught me so much, but the song I listen to is I have nothing by Whitney Mm -hmm. Houston. God, why am I so teary about this? Uh. Uh, But it's like, when you think about, when I think about my relationship to love and to spirit and to my body, like what would it be like for us to hear like the words just like, don't make me close one more door. Mm. I don't want to hurt me or stay in my arms. Mm-hmm. Your body's asking you stay in my arms. Don't walk away from me. Mm-hmm. Like your body is like crying. Like I have nothing if I don't have you. Mm-hmm. God is saying, I, I, I have nothing if I don't have you. That's a beautiful, powerful image of like wanting to be wanted when I felt like I was not wanted in the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wow. worship for me is Whitney Houston, babe. Mm. Mm-hmm. Worship for me can be uh, anything that I need it to be. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
And so finding those moments of authentic connection where I can hear spirit singing over to me, whether it is like through um, WAP or whether it is through Whitney Houston, I, um, that's what I look for in, in my worship music now is like, what does it make me feel in my body? Hey, Kevin, Mm. I believe in you and me. Mm. I believe that we will be. How dare you? Love eternally. Mm. Well, as far Mm. as I can see, you will always be the one for Mm. me. Yes. Oh, yes, you will. Mm. I believe in dreams again. I believe yes. the love Oof. will never end. And like the river finds the sea, I was lost. Now I what? see. Because yeah. I believe in you and me. Come on. Mm. Okay. <laughs> End of episode. <laughs>